It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition, a Monday morning of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, what if the Senior Bowl director makes a bold proclamation about one of the Falcons players? What if also we'll look at the Braves a quarter of the way through the season and again, I keep asking, maybe we should have just waited. No, not us, the media. They should have just waited. It's all next on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Thanks for joining me on this Monday edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. I want you to head to YouTube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into the browser, find us, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, put some comments in there, and of course, follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. I'm going to read you a quote. We're going to uh, read this from uh, Jim Nagy, who is the senior director, uh, or the director, I guess, of the uh, Senior Bowl, Senior Bowl director, Jim Nagy. This is what he had to say the other day, or he put out in a tweet. Quote, one of our favorite picks in the entire draft, twitchy, violent, fast, and productive. Perfectly suited for ATL's 3-4 outside linebacker. Should add to pass rush as rook and double-digit sack potential. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking about D'Angelo Malone, the outside and you know, outside linebacker, edge player from Western Kentucky. 61 games in five seasons, uh, 32 and a half sacks, had six or more each of the past four seasons. He is the school's all-time leading sack guy and, of course, from Cedar Grove High School here in the Atlanta area. That's pretty high praise. You know, Nagy's a guy who sees a lot of guys come in and out over these last few years, and obviously with running the Senior Bowl, you know, the Falcons are very heavily involved in that. If you look the last two years, you know, the Falcons last year uh, in their first year with this new regime, they had five of their nine draft picks that were at the Senior Bowl. This year, five of the eight picks that they had were at the Senior Bowl. But what if Nagy's projection is correct? What if Malone could be a double-digit sack potential guy? And Obviously, pairing him up with Arnold Ebicati, you got Lorenzo Carter. What if it would be hard to imagine the idea of the Falcons finding, and you hear me laughing, not just one, but maybe two potential pass rush guys. Look, I love Malone, and I, I anytime you tell me that a guy is the all-time leader in sacks at his school – I don't care if he played at Montana State. I don't care if he played at Bethune-Cookman. I don't care if he played at Agnes Scott. Okay, if he's the all-time sack leader at his school, there is something to that. And, and I love the fact that Malone has that pedigree, and I love the fact that people are talking about him. It seems like in this draft that we saw some guys that were really highly praised that either fell or just the, the Falcons decided to pick. Whether it was Troy Anderson or Desmond Ritter or D'Angelo Malone, there are certain guys that you keep reading about, or you know, even Arnold Ebicati, that were like, wow, you know, I'm a little bit surprised he fell, or 
you know, he found a perfect landing spot or this, that, and the other. So I'm excited to see because could you imagine, just, just bear with me for a second, okay? Could you imagine the idea that the Falcons had more than one double-digit sack guy on their roster? Could, could you imagine a world that we would live in where two guys could combine for over 20 sacks? And you're talking about two guys, whatever, 10, 12 sacks a piece or whatever. Whew. Now, look, I don't want to get out, you know, too far ahead of my skis and all that good kind of stuff, or whatever the saying is, you know, with all of it, obviously he's got a lot to learn. Obviously the competition level will ramp itself up. I mean, look, with all due respect to D'Angelo Malone, there are no Trent Williams. There are no, no David Bakhtaris in, uh, in the games that he played against Western Kentucky. Okay, when he lines up against some of those really super stud, you know, left tackles and tackles just across the league in general, there aren't a lot of those guys that he saw in college. So much like Anderson and guys like that that we talk about having that learning curve and trying to get themselves acclimated, though. But sometimes when all you're going to ask a guy to do, and I think that's all they're going to ask him to do. If you limit narrow focus, what his role has to be, and that is son. We're going to put you in this spot here, and all I want you to do is go upfield and get the quarterback. Set the edge and get upfield and go get the quarterback. If that's all that he's asked to do early on and, you know, in this rookie year, things like that. Because, again, he's not going to start. I mean, that's Eva Katie, That's Lorenzo Carter. Those guys will most likely start on the outside, and it will be their job to go sack the quarterback. But maybe Carter doesn't get a lot of production. You know, he doesn't sack the quarterback very often. Okay. Now I bring in Malone, which you're going to rotate defensive ends and your defensive line. Anyway, I bring in Malone and I tell him you've got one job, right? You've got one job. I want you to line up. I want you to set the edge and I want you to get up field and get after the quarterback. And maybe that's something where Dean Pease gets him to thrive in. You know, we, we heard last year about Richie Grant and, you know, the complexities of the defense and struggling to get on the field and this, any other. And it led to him only playing 23 and a half percent of the snaps for the Atlanta Falcons last year as a second round pick. Now, ideally as a second round pick, you would love to see your guy play a lot more than 23 and a half percent. But Pease was pretty consistent in his message that he doesn't know where to line up and this, any other. So you start talking about a guy like Richie Grant and you're asking him about coverage and run support and this and that. And, you know, who am I supposed to cover? And Okay, I get it. There's a lot more complexities when you start talking about defensive backs coming into the league. But we've seen plenty of guys, and we saw a bunch last year. Think about Aziz Ojolari and guys like that that people were sort of high on but didn't know what to expect in the NFL. And Ojolari goes out and sets the Giants record for sacks in his, in his rookie year. So there are plenty of guys that they come into the league and they've got this role, and here's what I need you to do, and you go out and do it. You know, and again, I understand the big guys, Khalil Mack and Vaughn Miller and, you know, Bosa and, you know, Aaron Donald, those guys, those guys are freaks of nature. But if you can ask a guy as a rookie to come in and be narrow focused in what he does, and he's got one role and one thing that he needs to do, I'm not telling you he's never going to play against the runner, this, any other, but by and large, if you can use him as a pass rush specialist and limit the different things he needs to do, don't drop him back into coverage and don't put him in guaranteed rundowns and things like that. Put him in a position to succeed because you can tell that the upside is there. 
He's got a got a great football pedigree to it. When you get the senior bowl director talking about what he has seen, and again, Nagy's seen a lot of guys come through there. He's the guy that sees all those guys come in year in, year out. It gets you excited as a Falcons fan to think that, wow, okay, could we actually be building a legitimate pass rush? Because pass rush is more than just one guy goes out and gets 15 sacks. You need a handful of guys to help you out. And I don't care if, you know, one guy gets 40 or, you know, five guys get eight or eight guys get five. Tell me how we get to 40 sacks. And I think Malone is going to be one of those guys that they're going to play him in a narrow role, turn him loose, let him get upfield, set the edge, and if nothing else, just focus on getting the quarterback. Let's hope what Nagy said about him holds to be true because, man, you find a double-digit sack guy that late in the draft, it's everything you want in the NFL. That That's when you really hit home runs in the draft. All right, when we uh, come back, um, again, the media should have just waited. They should have stepped back and waited. But, of course, we have to be hot takey. Doesn't matter if we're right. we got to be hot takey. We'll talk about that next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to YouTube.com. Put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your browser. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Leave us a comment. Tell us uh, what you think about the show, what uh, we're talking about. And, of course, head over to my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Well, um, things have not gone the Dallas Mavericks way, have they? Now, it's funny, and I know we've talked about this, but it, it, it is funny how it still becomes a topic. You know, I had somebody on my radio show last week from CBS uh, that covers the NBA, and he said, Luca's building this Michael Jordan-like uh, career. I've heard Larry Bird be mentioned, you know, Larry Bird, the guy that won a title in his second year. Yeah, he was in the Eastern Conference Finals his first year, won the NBA title in his second year over the Rockets, right? Oh, why, why do we have to do this? Like, we've discussed this. Both teams won the trade. Now, now the thing to do is say it's Luca versus Trey, as if the NBA is a one-on-one game. At, you have to be an old guy like me to remember on the old Commodore 64 platform, there was a game, one of the early video games that came out and the graphics were just dreadful was Larry Bird versus Dr. J. Okay. For you old heads, you'll know and understand exactly what I'm talking about with it. And it was a game where you played those guys one-on-one, pick whatever guy you want. And they went one-on-one and had some fun, all that kind of stuff. The NBA is not that. And I don't understand it, this is not a matter of Luca has played bad. It's not a matter of Luca's not a great player. But why do we have to anoint? Why do we have to change up the narrative? And, and I keep, and, and you know, Jarvis Davis and I from ATL Day Ones, you know, we keep liking to poke the bear because last I checked, Trey Young had two Eastern Conference, you know, two conference final wins. Luca's got none. This is his first time there. And I'm not blaming Luca. But you score a whole bunch of points, and he scored a whole bunch of points in two games that they could have and should have won. Absolutely should have won that game the other night in Golden State when you're up by 19 at one point on them, 14-point lead at the halftime, stretched it up to 19, had it at 16 for a good bit, and then you blew that game in the third and fourth quarter. 25-13 to in the third quarter, came out and lay an egg, and you lose that game. Okay, you got one of those out of your system. 
then last night you're you're controlling the game and you know you you were down early you came back and had a lead and then they took it right to you in that third quarter and second half so again this is what we talk about this has gotten ridiculous to the point of now it's Luca versus Trey. Well, you know, if they lined up on the court and one, six, seven and one, six, well, when does that ever happen? When, when is the NBA decided by, you know, without four other guys on the court? When, when does, when exactly does that happen? Is there a pregame ritual that determines, I don't know, one team gets 10 extra points because they play one-on-one. It's a team game. And both of these guys are great players. And they both need help to win. You see that. Lucas, you know, you know what Lucas' record is when he scores 40 points in the playoffs? When he scores 40 in the playoffs, you know what his record is? Two and six. Two and six. That's more than just a bad night or what that's a trend. That's a trend about it. When you're two and six, when you score a whole bunch of points, how's that helping your team win? And that's been the point of this discussion from the Atlanta perspective of it. This is not who would win a one-on-one battle in horse and this, that. That's not what the NBA is. You know, if 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 that if they're going to start up a new league, you know, some rebel league and it's one-on-one, you know, in a street park or whatever, fine, then we can have that discussion. But last I checked, it's about, does your franchise win? Is your franchise better? The Mavs are absolutely better with Luka on their squad. And guess what? The Hawks are absolutely better with Trey Young as their leader on their squad. Now, you got to find P because I'm laughing now that, well, this guy went over nine. This guy. Okay. Have you seen some of the games bogey and Gallinari and John Collins? John Collins is a $125 million player who at times is a single digit score and rebounder. You know, if, if you pay a guy 120 million, wouldn't you think night in night out? Okay. 15 and eight ought to be my minimum for a guy like that, but we don't always get that. Or if John Collins is even playing at times who missed time in the playoffs. That's been the point is when the Jason McIntyres and all the hot takers of the world start falling out. Oh, he's Larry Bird. And I get a guy on from CBS, you know, NBA, who do, who's an NBA writer for CBS Sports. Oh, you know, he's Michael Jordan. Slow down. Neither of these guys has won anything. You know, the, the days of the idea of Magic coming in and winning a title as a rookie and Larry coming in and winning a title, and say, those are probably over. It's probably over. You know why? Because ain't nobody like Magic and Larry. How many years did it take Michael to win a title? But now because everybody comes in the league and they can score a bunch and they can do this, this, and the other. Oh, well, he's Larry Bird. He's Magic Johnson. He's, he's Michael Jordan. He's this, any other. You know, I, I don't know. F- folks in Atlanta, you know, I don't know. I, I don't go around saying, well, you know, Trey Young is, you know, whatever. He's, you know, he's Steph Curry or this, any other. You know, their idea, their identity was to build a team like the Golden State Warriors because that's where Travis Schlenk came from. So their identity is they want to build a roster and a team that looks and can do some of those things. But that doesn't mean that Trey Young is Steph Curry because he's not. 
Steph's one of the all time. Watch it in this series. You know, when they when they need every big shot, guess what? Steph and Clay, boom, 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 boom. And that doesn't mean Luca's bad. Doesn't make Luca any less of a player. But we have no perspective on anything whatsoever. It's we got to anoint this guy. This guy's Larry Bird. With all due respect to Luca, okay? Larry would run. Larry and his Celtics team would run these guys out of the gym night in, night out. I mean, every night. Because it wasn't just Larry. Larry made um, Robert Parrish better, Dennis Johnson better, Danny Ainge better, Kevin McHale better. That Bill Walton was the sixth man of the year coming over after he literally had no feet left to play on. Larry, Larry would run those. They'd run those teams out. Can you imagine the Celtics roster in those days? How many Hall of Famers are on that roster? Kevin McHale started off with the sixth man, was the sixth man winner. Charles Barkley says that's the toughest guy he ever had to defend in his entire life. And that guy was one time just the sixth man on their team. So again, we get into these hyperbole narratives. Everybody's the greatest ever, everything like that. That's what drives me bonkers. Why is it so wrong to say that Trey is great, Luca's great, both franchises are in a better position? Nope, 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 nope. Because now I'll be, I'm going to be totally honest with you, brother. I'm all about Golden State winning. I hope Golden State sweeps. Oh man, I hope Golden State sweeps. Now that's that's what it's done to me is this national narrative about where we're at with Luca. Is he's all this? He's all that? Why? Why haven't they won? They had two very winnable games these last two games. You know they got run out of the gym on night one. Okay, and then people are like, well, yeah. Trey Young only scored this yet against the Miami Heat or whatever like that. Okay. Trey Young was in the Eastern Conference Finals. They won two games. They lost to the NBA champions. Can we just stop with all the -the over-the-top hyperbole and everybody's the greatest thing ever and just appreciate guys for what they are? Nope. And guess what? I'm going to be right there on my Twitter, JMCH316, and I'm going to take that stick and I'm going to keep poking it and poking it and poking it. You know why? Because I'm the a-hole in this whole thing. And I enjoy being it. See that, macho man? I enjoy being the heel out of all of it. All right. When we get back, the Braves after a quarter of the season. Hey, they won a series against the Marlins. It's yeah, good to swept, but couldn't do that. Anyway, it's all next. Hitting hard with John Chuckery on Lockdown Sports Atlanta. Back at it with Hitting Hard uh, with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta, asking you head over to YouTube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your search browser, hit the subscribe button, leave us a comment uh, about what we are talking about, and of course, always follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Well, the Braves had a good weekend. They won a series, uh, had a chance to sweep yesterday, came up a little bit uh, short, would have been nice to sweep the Marlins and take care of business as they were wrapping up this little road trip uh, that they had. Now they come back home, get ready for four with Philadelphia. Then we got the Marlins and, and look at the brave schedule, by the way, coming up, you know, Marlins, Phillies, Colorado, Arizona, um, the pirates, the Oakland A's, the nationals. There's a whole bunch of just vagabond teams, just a bunch of just jamokes that they got coming up on their schedule. And we've talked about the idea that this is their time to try to get things turned around, but believe it or not, I know we keep saying we're early, 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 but a fourth of the season is over. We're 25% of the way through the season. Braves are 19 and 22. So, okay, it's a little bit better. Here's one problem though. They're still eight games back 
of the Mets. Mets aren't losing series. They took two out of three from Colorado over the weekend, so they're not losing series. And that's without, by the way, Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom. So literally the two best pitchers on the entire planet of Earth aren't even in their rotation right now, and they're still just winning series and finding a way to get it done, and they're eight games up. How do I describe the Braves thus far? Very underwhelming. That That's how I would describe the Braves. Very underwhelming. And I don't, again, we, statistically, the issues are easy to figure out, right? Their offense has been anemic at times. You know, at times they do score some runs and you get different guys. You know, remember a couple of weeks ago when Travis Demerit was the greatest, you know, outfielder that they had since Ron Gant and, you know, he's doing all this, that, and the other. Well, now he's like, oh, for his last 24, whatever. I mean, you know, again, he's been awful of late. Austin Riley's been terrible. Matt Olson's been in a big funk. Ozzy can't get anything going. Ozuna's been up and down and up and down. I mean, okay, he's been a little bit better here of late, but went through a stretch where, you know, his batting average was around, you know, floating right around 200. Adam Duvall probably is the player that he is. He's a powerful 195 hitter, okay? I mean, the reason that he's valuable is because he's a really good outfielder. If he was, if he was a below-average outfielder, He'd be Rob Deere. He'd be Pete Incavilia. A bunch of power, doesn't hit for any average, and doesn't get a whole lot done. But again, last year led the league in RBA. They caught everything. They had everything fall in line all at once. And rebuilding their outfield the way that they did after Ronnie went down to bring Duvall back, to get Solaire, to get Rosario, and all of those guys, and Peterson, all of those guys came over and invigorated this team and just made this offense click. It's not there right now. And by the way, you know, Solaire did a couple of good things over the weekend, but by and large, he's had a lousy start for the Marlins. Rosario was dreadful when he was playing. You haven't gotten some of those contributions. And I'll say it, you know, I think that there is definitely something to the idea of not having Freddie as kind of a steady hand day in, day out in that clubhouse, you know. That was one of the things people just didn't want to have to talk about is the idea of, well, hey, Freddie's gone. We we got all, okay, but maybe there are other things. Maybe there are some intangible things about Freddie that you can't measure. And qual- you know, there's a reason why the manager kept tapping him on the shoulder and say, hey, can you go talk to these guys? Can you help me with this? That, and that? Well, why do you think that is? Because he's the clubhouse leader guy. Manager's not going to do that for some schlub. So, it's been very underwhelming. You look at their offense, they're below. I mean, they hit a bunch of homers. They're one of the better teams in the league in hitting home runs. They hit a bunch of doubles because Olsen's had a whole crap ton of doubles. But batting average, on base, runs scored, they're all below average in all of those things. All below average and all that kind of stuff. Their pitching staff is, you know, their starting staff is really sort of rounded into form. So I can't get mad right now at what their pitching staff is. You know, Ian Anderson was fine yesterday, like six innings, two runs, right? I mean, He's fine. Morton has been fine. Max Fried's been terrific. Kyle Wright's been, you know, good. They have their bumps in the road. But as a staff, they've held their own. Bullpen's been pretty good, but they have their bumps in the road. They just can't seem to get everything coming together. And it's the offensive piece that is so maddening is because it's not like the Braves are built around one or two guys. I mean, listen to the names. Uh, uh, Ronnie. Olsen, Ozzie, Riley, Dansby, Ozuna, Duvall. You know, these are all Riley. You know, these are all guys that 
are supposed to be big time performers and you got, you know, three, four guys at a time that are in major funks for this season. And I'll keep going back. We keep saying, oh, it's early. It's early. Okay. Well, you're eight back now. I mean, in a month, a month from now, when we're here in a month from now, if you look at the, if, if you tell me that, that the, the Braves are going to break out and they're going to be that team that we think, and you look at the schedules of the Mets and the Braves coming up in 30 days from right now, Braves should at least have half that lead cut out. Braves shouldn't be more than three or four games back. Because if you're telling me that eventually the Braves offense is going to catch all up, eventually the Mets are going to fold, eventually the schedules are going to catch up, that's now. We're about to head into Memorial Day weekend. You know, I know there's a lot of, you know, Jamokes and Gavones and stuff like that. Go, well, I, you know, I, I don't um, I don't look at the Major League Baseball standings until Memorial Day. Well, hey, Chief, guess what? That's a week from today. What are you going to look at if the Braves are eight or nine games back? How confident and how good you're going to feel at that moment? So I, I don't know what the magic elixir is. You know, yes, they need to get their offense going. Yes, they need to hit with runners in scoring position. We get that. You know, they, they need to keep, you know, they need to be consistent. You know, most of their bullpen is really good, but it, it's, again, it feels like, you know, just like last year at times, you know, one guy comes in, it's been pitching pretty well, and all of a sudden he has a flame out. I don't know what the magic bullet and magic solution is other than get the bats cranked up and, you know, maybe make sure you can try to outscore some people. But this has been a very underwhelming you know, return and considering you brought back most all of your roster and I understand Freddie leaving is a big deal, but y'all sold me on the idea of, ah, we don't need leadership and all that. We got a Dansby's a leader. This guy's a leader. That guy's a leader. Okay. Well, let's start leading it to more wins. Oh, you're being, you know, over dramatic. No, you're eight games back with a quarter of the season done. Um, that doesn't just magically change and get itself better. So, you know, in a month from now, when we revisit this and we're looking at getting toward the end of June and all these things, have the Braves turned it up, have the Mets taken a step back, the schedules certainly level out. I mean, the Braves schedules very much easier. We talked about Phillies, Marlins, you know, they've got the Pirates, they've got the Rockies, they've got Arizona, they've got the Oakland A's, they've got the Washington Nationals. They'll, all those teams are coming up in the next month here. While the Mets are going to get the Dodgers, the Padres, the Angels, the Brewers, you know, a whole bunch of those teams. But again, it's not panic, but at some point it's like, when, when are we seeing, when, when is reality what we're watching? When, when is what we're watching the reality of what this team may end up being? And that would be immensely frustrating, immensely frustrating. All right, we thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thanks for making Listen, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery your first listen. Hey, don't forget to make my friends Jarvis Davis and Denise Batiste your second listen. ATL Day 1s, of course, talking to the heart of the city of Atlanta. Braves, Hawks, Falcons, they cover everything for you. Great conversation between those two. That's free and available on our YouTube page as well at Locked On Sports Atlanta. Head over there, subscribe to the page, and, of course, follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.